Amen. Well, again this morning, if you'll take God's Word and find Matthew chapter 26, you asked for it, this message on prayer and fasting. One of my favorite places on the planet is the Garden of Gethsemane. We were there late February, early March. You'll be able to see some pictures there. We were there. Our intent of being there, several things. We wanted to pray there. We wanted to worship there. And we wanted to do some teaching there. And that's exactly what we did. When you're in the garden, you realize many things. For example, maybe you've been in municipal auditorium at some point in your life and Elvis did a concert there and you can remember that. On July 1st, 1973, I was about nine years old. My mom uh, took me to municipal auditorium and we saw Elvis uh, on July 1st, 1973 in municipal auditorium. I still remember where we were seated. I still remember seeing the images of ladies fighting and I still remember Elvis throwing those scarves, and they just like attack each other. And so that's probably why I need counseling to this day. Uh, I still have those images, thinking about that. But you were in a place where Elvis Presley was at. Uh, maybe you played golf at a golf course, and you've been to that place, and you're on the 18th green, and you say, there's no doubt one of the greatest golfers ever to play the game, Tiger Woods, made a putt on this green, and you're able to stand in that place. Or maybe you've been at a place where, for example, President Ronald Reagan spoke at, and you've been able to be there and think one of history's greatest presidents spoke in this place. Well, when you find yourself in the Garden of Gethsemane, there in uh, right outside the old city of Jerusalem, you're in this place, and here's what you realize. Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of the world, my best friend, the one who changed my life as a young boy, And the one who called me into Christian ministry, he prayed in this place. He was here. He fell on his face in this place. His disciples were sleeping in this place. His betrayer came to that place. But the Son of God and Savior of the world prayed in that place for the will of his Father to be done. And every time Angel and I have been there with people, we found ourselves thanking the Father again and again and again and just saying, Father, thank you time and time again. You have showed us what your will is for our lives and we sought to surrender our lives to be obedient to you. There's no sweeter place than being in the center of the will of God in your life. And as we find ourselves in the garden, we always find ourselves praying and just saying, God, in the days, weeks, months, years ahead, will you show us your will and then will you give us the courage and the boldness to live your will out? If it's not going to be easy, it's not always going to be comfortable, it's not always going to be popular, it's not always going to be the easiest thing, it's not always going to make sense from the eyes of people. But God, will you give us courage to obey your will? And he's faithful every single time. But you're in a place where Jesus literally fell on his face, his soul soul overwhelmed. And here he is praying, asking for the will of the Father to be done. When you look at the word Gethsemane, you see it in Scripture in the text that we talked about. It's a word that just means oil press. What that means when you're on... The Mount of Olives, and that's where the Garden of Gethsemane is at, you see all of these olive trees. And certain times in the year, again, they're going to harvest those olives, and so those olives are going to be crushed, and from that crushing, you're going to get precious oil. As Jesus was in that garden, on his face before the Heavenly Father, having a conversation with his disciples about sleeping, 
He was moments away from giving his life. He was going to be crushed for the sins of the world. And as you said in this worship center, as you worship with us online, may you and I never forget our sins are forgiven because he was crushed on Calvary's cross. The payment that we deserve to pay, he paid in full for you and for me. By his blood, by his stripes, by his wounds, you and I can be here today spiritually healed because he was crushed for your iniquities, your sins, and my sins. And we have peace in him today. As I think about this message on prayer and fasting, look at your outline today, questions to ponder. I want you to think about these questions this morning as we begin this a sermon on prayer and fasting. What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to fast? What's going to happen if you do that? Number one is spending time with the Father, a regular discipline for you. Kids, students, adults in this room watching. Is spending time with the Father, a regular discipline for you? I want to ask the question in a little different way. How many days every week do you miss spending time with the Father? Again, you don't have to answer that out loud, but just in your life, how many days of the week the Bible's closed? You may pray, but it's before a meal or some other situation. But, but how many days of the week do you miss being still, listening to what he's saying to you, and worshiping him in your life? But is spending time with the Father a regular discipline of you? Number two, are you seeking God's will without any strings or conditions attached? How many kids, how many students, how many adults in this room and watching? You come before God, for example, in the morning, and you say, God, I want your will to be done in my life, and here is a blank piece of paper. And you share with me whatever it is you want to share, and I surrender my life to you. How many of us come before him that way? How many of us come before him? We put strings and conditions attached. God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. God, if you'll give me this, then I'll give that. He wants you and me to come before him without any strings or conditions attached. Blank piece of paper. Father, your will be done, not mine. I give it all to you. Number three. Are you prepared to handle temptation God's way? Now, you have to understand from the Word of God in many different places, it's not if you're going to be tempted, it's when you're going to be tempted. And I want you to know again, kids, students, adults, you need to know this because you cannot handle temptation on your own. The enemy will destroy your life. He'll destroy your marriage. He'll destroy your family. He'll destroy this church if we try to handle temptation on our own. Jesus used the word of God on the Mount of Temptation. You and I need to be prepared to handle temptation God's way, not our way. So are you prepared to handle temptation God's way? Number four, are you intentional about doing ministry with other believers? See, many times we come across and say, I don't need the people of God. I don't need the church. That's a lie from the enemy, by the way. You and I need the people of God. We need the local fellowship of believers at church because God has never called you and me to live the Christian life on our own. Solitude, yes, not isolation. He wants you and me to be in fellowship with one another. Many people have this Lone Ranger mentality, but you've got to realize Lone Ranger even had Tonto in his life. And so you need people around you in your life. So don't try to be like a Lone Ranger. I'm just going to do it on my own. Listen, the enemy would love for you to do that. But we want you to do ministry with us, with one another. It is critical. Number five, how do you respond to opposition and betrayal? 
That's a big question. How do you respond to opposition and betrayal? Because here's what happens. Times in life, there are going to be people who are close to you in life. Family members, friends, even church members. And they're going to oppose you. Or they're going to betray you. And what do you do when you face opposition and betrayal because you're seeking to be obedient to the Heavenly Father in your life? As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was moments away from Judas betraying him. Moments away. What do you do when people oppose you and betray you? Well, I want us to walk through this. I want to give you some insights from Matthew 26, being faithful to God's Word. Number one, seek, seek times of solitude. As you and I think about what is happening in this passage, the Bible says, then Jesus went with them to a place called the Gethsemane, again, oil press. He was going to be crushed, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He was seeking a time of solitude. He was going to have a conversation with this heavenly Father. The Bible says a lot about solitude in the Scripture. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I'm God. That's talking about solitude. You get alone with him. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus would get up and go to a solitary place, and there he would pray. Uh, Mark chapter 6, Jesus has sent his disciples out. They came back, and he said to them, I want you to pull away from the crowds and all the activities. I want you to come with me to a place of solitude. I want you to get some rest, and we're going to talk about what has happened in your lives. So when you think about solitude, are you getting alone with the Father, spending time with Him? And you say, well, if I spend time in solitude, what am I going to do when I do that? You're going to read the Word. You'll pray. You'll listen to worship music or worship the Lord as you're singing yourself maybe. You're going to rest, but there are also times you're going to fast. You're going to give up something so you can spend time with the Lord. Again, it could be food, it could be a meal, it could be some electronics, it could be many other things in your life that you spend time on, you want to give up because you want to spend time with God listening to Him. That could be at noon tomorrow in this, in this worship center. It could be early in the morning before daylight. What you would normally do, you're not going to do because you're going to draw near to God in a place of solitude and you're going to listen to Him as you share your heart with Him. Uh, Jesus here in this garden is doing that very thing. Now, do you need to practice solitude in your life? And I would imagine those of us in this room, myself included, we need times of solitude because of what we face in life. Let me ask you these questions. Number one, are you facing any major decisions in life? Any major decisions in your life and you need to pull away, get along with God and say, God, what do you want me to do in the face of this decision? Career decision, relationship decision, financial decision. For us as a church, as we think about facilities here that we need to give attention to, God, what do you want us to do so we're going to seek you in prayer and fasting so that we will hear your voice and we will do what you want us to do? Are you facing any major decisions in your life? If you are, get along with God. Number two, do you feel that your walk with Jesus is dry and lacking? Again, I'm not asking to raise your hands, but how many people in this room today would just say your relationship with Christ right now is dry and it's lacking intimacy in your life? And you just come, come before him and say, God, I want that to change. I mean, I want a downpour in my life that the Holy Spirit would move in my life. If you'll get along with him, you'll be honest and confess your sin and say, Lord, my relationship is dry and lacking with you. Will you do a fresh work in my life? Got to move in your life. 
Maybe that's your situation. Number three, is your life busy and overextended? How many people in this room, how many people are watching? Your life is so busy and overextended, you're trying to think, when in the world am I going to have time for God? Well, if your life is so busy and overextended that you don't know when you're going to pray and you're going to fast, you are too busy in life. There's some here today, you're going to make a radical decision, and you need to, to say, I've got to slow down the pace of my life so that I can spend time with God and hear Him and surrender my life to Him. You need to make that commitment. Number four, do you want your walk with Jesus to reach another level? I've been walking with Christ for many years. I seek to spend time with Him every single day of my life. But can I be transparent with you as your pastor? I want my relationship with Jesus over the next seven days to go to another level. I'm thankful for what he's doing, but I want to go to another level with him. Intimacy, hearing from him, obeying him, surrendering to him. What about you? You need to seek times of solitude because God moves when we get alone with him. Number two, surrender to God's will. So you look at this passage again. Jesus is in the garden. He's got his disciples there. He asked him to sit here. He's going to go over there and pray. He took his inner circle, Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And here's the truth about his life. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. In your walk with the Lord Jesus, what is causing you sorrow and what is causing you trouble? Again, he's in this garden for the purpose of knowing the will of the Father, but he is sorrowful and troubled. What is bringing you sorrow and trouble in your life? And then it goes on to say, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. What is he doing in your soul? Not just in your mind, not just in your body. What is the Lord doing in your soul, the deepest part of your life? What is the Lord doing in your soul? And Jesus, in this garden again that we've been at, And he says, my soul is troubled even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face. Again, kids, students, adults. Are you sorrowful and troubled? What is going on in your soul? And when's the last time you have literally fell on your face before the Lord seeking a direction from him? When have you done that? There are times when you pray and fast. You're giving up something to spend time with the Lord. There are going to be times you're literally going to find your posture changing. You're going to be on your knees or you could even be on your face before him because you're seeking his will for your life. Jesus is in the garden. He's on his face and there he prayed saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he prayed that three different times. Seeking the will of the father. Here's what I know in ministry. One of the greatest things I hear in ministry again and again is people saying, How can I know the will of God in my life? had a gentleman yesterday send me a message early and said, do you have time for a 10-minute phone call? And I knew those 10 minutes would turn into probably about an hour. So I said, absolutely, let me call you at this time. And, And his heart yesterday was, how can I know the will of God? What do I need to do in this situation? What decision do I need to make? What is the right thing to do? 
Uh, when people ask about the will of God, it encourages me because it just says to me that, that the Lord Jesus is on their radar screen. They want to do what pleases unto him. At least they're seeking his will. What troubles me is how many decisions we make as individuals, even as a church, we never even consider the awareness of God. What does he want us to do in the midst of this? That's the troubling part. But many people, even today, are saying about life, God, when it comes to my career, what do you want me to do? What is your will? God, when it comes to this relationship, what is your will for me in this relationship? When it comes to this purchase, what is your will for us in this purchase? We want to know, God, your will. And let me encourage you to write these words down because when it comes to the will of God in your life, these five things are going to be essential for you. If you're going to know the will of God and you're going to live in the center of God's will, number one, God's word, he will never lead you to do something that he is forbidden in the scripture. He will always lead you to be faithful and consistent with the word. God's word matters. His primary way of speaking to you and me is through the word. The Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation. It is an errand. It is infallible. It's authoritative. Trust the word of God. God is speaking through his word to you and me. Number two, as you see, is God's spirit. God's spirit is always going to lead you and me, the Holy Spirit, to the person of Jesus. As you and I seek the Father and his will through the spirit, he's going to lead us to put Jesus first. Seek Jesus. As we think about fasting, seek Jesus. The spirit is always going to use, lead you to seek him, that he would increase, you would decrease. Seek Jesus as the Spirit leads. Number three, God's activity. Henry Blackaby wrote a study years ago. Many of you have done that, experiencing God. He says, you just find out where God is at work at and you join him there. When you look at your life, you look at your marriage, you look at your family, we look at our church, where do we see the activity of God at? This is not what man's doing. This is what God is doing. And so we want to know the activity of God. Number four, God's people. You need to surround yourself with a few selected, trusted people in your life who have the heart of God, the mind of Christ, who love you, who will speak God's truth into your life. You're asking what the will of God is? Well, ask them to pray with you and give you insight to that. Walk with you through that. You need the people of God in your life. The enemy will lie to you and say you don't need God's people in your life. He's a liar. You need the people of God in your life. Seek out godly count. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And then number five, God's peace. As you're carrying out the will of God in your life, you need to make sure you have the peace of God. He's not the God of confusion. He's the God of peace. I had a conversation with someone this past week again, major decision in that person's life, but said we had peace about doing it. I said that's evidence of the will of God in your life. If there's doubt in your life, there's trouble in your life, there's concern, put the brakes on about doing that because God is a God of peace. He'll give you peace when he reveals his will to you. Solitude, uh, the will of God. Look at number three. Expect seasons of temptation. As you and I, over these next seven days, as we pray, as we fast, as we seek the will of God, Jesus, we're seeking you. We're going to confess any sin in our lives. We're going to grow together as a body of Christ, but we're looking to find direction from our Heavenly Father. As you do that, you can rest assured the enemy is going to come against you. 
He's the source of temptation. God's not tempting you and me. The enemy is the one who's tempting us. Jesus was tempted. Many people ask, well, if I'm tempted, have I sinned? The answer is no, because Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But Jesus never sinned. He is the sinless Son of God and Savior of the world. And But when you and I are tempted, we must be, be sure. You can write this verse down, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that when you're tempted, God is faithful... Great is thy faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. God is faithful that when you're tempted, he's going to provide you a way of escape. But you have to be spiritually in touch with him to know that here's, here's the temptation, but here is God's way out. Here's his way of escape. God will be faithful to do that. But as you and I think about temptation, let me give you these three seasons where you're going to be tempted the most, that you can write these down. I'll give you a biblical character to each one of them. But here's oftentimes when the enemy will strike your life and my life. Number one, exhausted. You can write down beside that, when you think about being exhausted, the name Elijah. He had saw God move in great ways on Mount Carmel. Then he's under a broom tree wanting to die. Why? He was exhausted. He was physically tired. He was depleted. He was exhausted. And the enemy was discouraging him. Ultimately, he wanted to give up his life and just go ahead and die. There are going to be times in your life you're going to be weary. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be fatigued. You're going to be depleted. The enemy is going to try to attack you at your weakest moment when you're exhausted. Please understand, one of the greatest spiritual things you can do in your life at times is rest and sleep. If you're tired, if you're fatigued, if you're exhausted, get along with God and take a nap. Get some sleep, get some rest, and let God minister to you when your life is at a place of rest. But many people fall to the enemy's schemes when they are exhausted and they keep trying to to push through in the midst of that. Second word is irresponsible. Times when you're irresponsible in the Christian life. You you know this just as well as I do. In your home, you have responsibilities. At your job, you have responsibilities. In this church, you have responsibilities. But many people find themselves irresponsible. And when they're irresponsible, the enemy targets that. And he comes against the people of God when they're irresponsible. Write this name out to the side of us, the name David. At the spring, when, at the time of the year when can kings go off to war, David should have been in battle. He should have been at war. Where is he at? He's on the rooftop of his palace. He sees a very attractive woman, and he doesn't stop there. The enemy got David when David was irresponsible. I just encourage you, take your responsibilities in life seriously. Don't let the enemy attack you when you're irresponsible. Number three, undisciplined. There are times in life we just live undisciplined. We're not faithful to Christ. We're not living with guardrails around us. We don't recognize the boundaries. We're living undisciplined. Write the name out to the side there, Samson. He lived an undisciplined life. And the enemy got him when he was undisciplined. You may know this about Samson's life. He took what's known as the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow said it was about holy living. It was about godly living. The Nazarite vow said you're not to shave your head, cut your hair. You're not to touch a dead corpse. But also you're not to have any kind of connection to any alcoholic beverage, fermented wine, even grape juice. I mean, that was the command of God on his life. And what do you look, Samson living an undisciplined life, and what he's, he broke every single one of those. 
I just encourage you, when you live in discipline, you live out of control. The Holy Spirit says we're to live self-control, not out of control. And so when you live an undisciplined life, you are putting yourself in a position for the enemy to attack you and to come against you. But in prayer and fasting, you want to say, God, I need rest. God, I want to be responsible. But God, I want to live a disciplined life as well. Because you can rest assured, when you pray and you fast, the enemy is coming against you. Number four, hunger for biblical fellowship. I want you to know again, the local church matters. The people of God in this room matter. The people who are on our membership role matter. The people of God matter. You need people in your life. Now, in this context, we know this, Jesus again, he went with them. He's got people around him. He went to a place called Gethsemane, oil press. He said to the disciples, sit here, I'll go over there and pray. Taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, hunger for biblical fellow. He had people around him. He goes and he prays, asking for the will of the Father. You need the people of God in your life. Again, I, I feel for the people who feel like they can live the Christian life. Don't, don't, don't any need for the church at all. Church, not necessary. It's, it's, it's irrelevant. It's boring. It, all about money. I, I, I feel for the people who feel that way in life. Let me ask you these two questions. What you think about this? Number one, as you face decisions, pressures, and temptations in the Christian life, do you have other people around you? Jesus, the weight of that moment, sorrowful, troubled, his soul was overwhelmed, even to death, had people around him. And so as you face major decisions, pressures, temptations in the Christian life. First, the church, you have other people around you in life. I pray that you can name some people around you who are there for you. Number two, do you have people in your life who have your back? Do you have people around you who have your back? They're going to be there for you and with you. They're not going to walk out of your life. They're not going to abandon you. They're going to have your back. Dr. Jim Henry, he called me just a few days ago and we were having a conversation together about something. He preached in this pulpit a little over a year ago. And I remember when he went to First Baptist Orlando, him sharing the story that him and Jeanette are there in Orlando serving this church. And all of a sudden one night there was a knock on their door. And he opens the door and it's some key leaders in the fellowship of First Baptist Orlando who showed up at the door just unannounced. And he invited them in and these men said, Brother Jim, we would like to meet with you in a private place here in your home. Brother Jim took him to a room, and they get in the room. He's, he's a new pastor there. And they get in the room, and Brother Jim's heart's beating. He's like, what in the world? I haven't been there that long to get in trouble. What in the world's going on here that they want to meet with me in private? And he said, those godly men got with him that night in their home in this private room and said, Brother Jim, you're our pastor, and we thank God for you. And Brother Jim, we want you to know this as you lead our church forward. If you do something unethical and moral, we'll have a conversation with you. But if you're faithful to Christ, you're faithful to Jeanette, you're faithful to your family, faithful to shepherd our church, as long as you do that with integrity and character for the glory of Christ, Brother Jim, we want you to know tonight in this room, we always have your back. You can count on us. And Brother Jim one of the great Christian leaders of our day, said he never has gotten over that conversation. Got your back. You need people around you like that. 
When the going gets tough and you make hard decisions, may not be pleasing to everybody, you need people who say, Pastor, others around you, again, if you do something unethical and moral, another question, but if you're leading with unity in the heart of Christ, I have your back. Rest assured in that. You're going to need those people when you pray and fast. Number five, prepare for fierce opposition. You can expect opposition to come your way. One of the most difficult feelings in life, one of the most difficult experiences in life is being betrayed. A husband betrayed a wife. Painful. Parents betrayed kids. Kids betrayed parents. Painful. Close friend of yours betrayed you. Painful. An employer you thought you could trust betrayed you. Painful. Another brother or sister in Christ you counted on betrayed you. Extremely painful. In, in the garden here, we find in this occasion, what do we see here? Jesus, he came to the disciples, said to them, sleep, take your rest. Later on, see the hours at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Judas was right there at the moment, getting ready to betray the Son of God and Savior of the world. Jesus had washed his feet, and he's going to betray him. What do you do when you're betrayed? Let me give you these words. One, talk with God. God, I've been opposed and betrayed. My heart is broken. I'm hurting. I'm wounded. God, I I bring that need to you. Have a conversation. Number two, remember Jesus' example. How did Jesus handle betrayal? Follow the Son of God's example when you are betrayed in your life. Number three, forgive the betrayer. Lord, I'm not seeking to get revenge. I'm not seeking to get vengeance. I'm forgiving this person who's done this to me in life. You forgive the person. Jesus did that very thing. Number four, seek out help. You want to find yourself, if you need to seek out counselors, that's a wonderful thing. We can give you some insight about counselors. Make sure this counselor knows Christ. Make sure this counselor is faithful to the local church. Make sure this counselor is going to use the word of God in counseling. Make sure you're seeing someone who is a bona fide Christian counselor in his or her life. It's okay to seek out help. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to say, I need someone to talk to. Seek out help. Number five, let it go. What do I mean by that? You just have a funeral. The opposition, the betrayal that's come your way, you bury that and you move on. And when Jesus, what was he betrayed? But did Judas stop Jesus from fulfilling the will of the Father in his life? Absolutely not. He was betrayed, but what did Jesus do? He went to Calvary's cross. He stretched out his arms. He, he was nailed to a cross. He gave his life, shed his blood. He died on a cross for your sin and my sins, buried in the tomb, raised on the third day. Even the betrayal of Jesus did not stop him from doing the will of the Father in life. Same is true for you and me. Now, Uh, We're going to sing a song here in just a moment, but I want to ask you these questions to prepare us for an invitation, but also to prepare us for the next seven days in our lives. Question number one, will you get alone with God? In this invitation, as an individual, as a couple, as a family, trusted people around your life, will you get alone with God in this invitation over the next number of minutes and say, Lord, over the next seven days, as we pray and fast, do a work in my life. God, I want to hear from you and surrender my life to you. We get alone with him. Even this morning in this invitation, second question, are you surrendered to God with your life? Maybe this morning you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. 
Maybe this morning you need to come forward and say, I need to be baptized as a believer in Christ. Maybe this morning you need to join the fellowship of this church. The Garden of Gethsemane was about surrender. You need to surrender your life on the front end of prayer and fasting. God has laid it on your heart. You need to surrender this to him. Surrender your life to him this morning. Are you surrendered to the Lord? Question number three. What temptations are you facing? In your life, in your marriage, your family, what temptations are we facing as a church? Surrender those to him. Make sure you handle those temptations God's way, not your way. Number four, do you have a few close friends around you? Do you have people around you who are going to have your back? They're going to be there for you when the going gets tough. When the opposition to betrayal at hand, they're going to be there with you and for you. Do you have those people in your life? And then number five, are you weeping over the reality of betrayal? Absolutely, when we're betrayed, there's brokenness over that. There's weeping over that. Is that true in your life? I want us to bow together this morning. We're going to pray. In the garden, solitude, surrender to the will of God, temptation, betrayal, and God, your will be done and not mine. This morning in this invitation, our prayer team will be here. This morning in this invitation, our pastoral staff will be here. This morning in this invitation, the altar is open here for you as an individual, as a couple, family, group of people just to come and pray. Over the next seven days, we'll seek Jesus. Over the next seven days, we'll confess any sin. Over the next seven days that we will grow together in Christ. Over the next seven days, we'll find direction from him. And we're not trying to force him to give us his time frame either. He'll give us his time frame when he wants to. But we want to seek him. And this invitation, if you need to give your life to Christ, baptism, church membership, surrender, surrender, surrender today. You're watching online. You can contact us. And you want to surrender your life, we'd love to come alongside, serve you, and help you as you surrender everything to Jesus as we think about the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Father, in the garden, you walk with us, you talk with us, and thank you that you tell us your own, and we surrender everything to you. So, Lord, in this invitation, I pray this altar is filled with people who are praying who are saying over the next seven days, God, do a fresh work in my life. And even today, I surrender and make these decisions in obedience to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I pray. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and